This is Amirames, a podcast where we sit down with guests of different backgrounds and expertise to analyze and hopefully understand current issues. I'm your host, Matt Laveau, sitting down today with Gamze Igogu, policy analyst, and Moritz Adder, project coordinator of the work on youth empowerment and intergenerational justice at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris, to discuss their new report, Governance for Youth, Trust, and Intergenerational Justice, what can policies do to increase the living standard of everyone in a post-COVID-19 world and a warming planet? Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot, Matt, indeed, and also for the opportunity to present some of our findings today in your podcast. No problem. So both of you work as policy analysts, and the main focus of your research is to promote public governance that supports the future generations of young men and women who have to confront the complicated issues of the 21st century. Can both of you explain as well what led you to work at the OECD? Well, for me, I finished my studies in political science and economics at the University of Munich back in 2013. And I've always been interested in issues related to economics, social development, inequality, but also international cooperation. And I wanted to work on these very issues in an international environment. And if you want, the OECD is kind of a perfect fit as it allows us to work on these topics across a big number of countries with smart colleagues from a variety of different backgrounds. But it also allows us to understand how different countries are trying to tackle these issues and ultimately what we can learn from each other. Uh, for me, it's been uh, a bit more than seven years now at the OECD. And um, after actually starting as an intern back then, and still every day there's a lot of things to learn from working in such a context. Yeah, for me, uh, I will give a similar answer to Morris that uh, our academic background is similar. I also studied political science and economics. And I was always interested also in these uh, more macro questions uh, that affect our societies. Uh, but then why OECD? It is a bit also about making an impact with your work. It is about serving uh, you know, citizens, providing sort of a public good. And uh, that I think what interests me most and uh, for you, of course, it's very dear to my heart as a topic. When I started the team, I was still in the youth age group. So I associated myself very closely with many of the things we were, you know, uh, trying to address the challenges, the concerns, needs of young people highly resonated with me. And I also appreciate a lot working with all those different countries and really helping uh, them make an impact on the ground. And what drove you guys to write this report? Yeah, I think that uh, aligns also what I just said about, uh, you know, uh, the youth and the challenges. And we are actually going through a very specific circumstances right now that uh, young people are hit by two crises in the past 12 years. We see that young people on average in OECD have less income at their disposal than previous young generations. They are having more difficulties to find employment. They express less trust in governments than their parents do. And they are very concerned about global transformations and their effects, like you mentioned, climate change, digitalization, rising inequalities. So it is a very specific context. And the reason why our team started to working on this report is uh, we got a request from the representatives of OECD countries, um, which represent their national governments at the OECD. They asked OECD to prepare a report on this important issue so they better understand what they need to do. 
so that was the starting point, but I think Morris can elaborate a bit more on this uh, process. I think you, you covered already really some of the drivers that led us to prepare this report for our member countries. And I think one important point are really these global transformations uh, through which our countries are going currently. Um, they're changing the way in which we communicate with, with each other, which we learn, but also in which we work. And a couple of examples that Gamze mentioned, like digitalization, automation will completely change the future of work the skills required to succeed in such a new environment. Uh, you can also think about uh, the fact that our societies are aging and what this means for the allocation of public resources, but also the opportunities for different age cohorts to engage in public lives. And even beyond that, uh, think about global challenges such as climate change and their impact on the well-being of people already today, but also people that are not yet born. So it's kind of a uh, complex situation. On the one hand, we see young people are better informed. They are better educated than previous young generations. They have better access to technologies. But on the other hand, we have these global transformations, which are creating a lot of uncertainty, uncertainties for young person, because we don't know where we are heading to. And what this report essentially does is that uh, we are looking at our OECD member countries and a few selected non-member countries to see how well they are prepared in providing an environment in which young people can be successful in this new context. And to our knowledge, it's actually the first international comparative report which is addressing these topics. And I want to discuss the three main areas of your report. The first being supporting youth transition to an autonomous life. What does it mean to both of you? So yeah, that's a good question. I think over the last decades, um, it has increasingly been recognized that being a young person or being youth is a distinct phase in a person's life cycle. And typically, it refers to a period in life where, which is characterized by various transitions. For instance, you're moving out from your parental home, you're renting your first own apartment, you move from high school to university, or maybe you're starting your first job. But even beyond these areas like education, employment or housing, think about participation, health, mobility, transportation, environment. All these are issues in which young people have specific needs and interests which are distinct from other age cohorts. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty, pretty obvious now. Um, those interests are different from a child and those interests are different from someone in his or her 50s, for instance. Um, we should also not forget that young people are not a homogeneous group, but that these interests, these needs can vary actually quite considerably depending on the specific age, sex, health situation, or the socioeconomic background. Um, the interesting question is again, whether and how well governments are delivering on these needs, what kind of resources they are providing and what kind of opportunities exist for young people to actively shape what governments are doing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, I think I just wanted to add, uh, it is not a one of activity to support young people uh, to succeed or facilitate their transition to autonomous life. It is a distinct period of uh, life cycle, but it is not uh, restricted with certain couple of years or months 
or just uh, one aspect of uh, you know fulfilling one wanting like graduating or finding a job so it is really a continuous process and it is important to understand for young people they they are different they are not a homogeneous group and they have different needs during this period and all of these things related to public services relate to them for example education is important for employment opportunities so it is um, actually resonating very well with our public governance angle that young people from these different socioeconomic backgrounds should enjoy uh, equal access to this quality education employment opportunities youth work uh, youth rights volunteering health services and actually i think a very interesting point is it is not only supporting young people at a young age to succeed but when they succeed at a young age they are also better off all their lives so our data shows that uh, for example a young person with a history of unemployment are likely to have lower wage levels over their life uh, course and then poorer prospects for promotion better jobs and ultimately lower pension levels so it is really important that uh, at a young age when they are starting their journey they are supported well and they fulfill uh, their potential and i think it is really really important in the current context with the pandemic we are seeing the effects on young people for young graduates those who are looking for job or trying to maintain employment uh, in a job uncertain job market so um, it is a very timely report in that sense and we provide a specific clear solutions on how to tackle these challenges in our report and from your report what i found interesting was that even the generation from the 2007 2008 uh, economic crisis haven't even recovered from that and plus with the pandemic that even worsens it so it's much harder trans to transition to an autonomous life correct Sorry. absolutely matt i think you you're addressing a very important issue that uh, today's generation of young people are now experiencing the second global economic shock after the global financial crisis like 12 years ago or so and uh, what gamsa just mentioned um is true and these kind of crises can have what we call scaring effects it means that those young people that are graduating during the crisis during a recession find it more difficult to find a job and stable income and that has really negative consequences not only in the short term but really over their entire life cycle um, already prior to the current crisis we see that young people are the first generation which uh, has less income at their disposal than previous young generations. They are 2.5 times more likely to be unemployed and they find it increasingly difficult to afford housing. I think every student who is moving to an urban area understands that this is a massive challenge. Um, in addition to that, we also see that jobs for young people are insecure, that they face a higher risk of living in poverty than any other age uh, cohort. And these are challenges that young people are facing, but obviously uh, these challenges also have a negative impact on our societies and our economies. Uh, think about those young people that are not employed, not in education, not in training. Um, of course, this has consequences also for the economies in which these young people are living in, in terms of sustainable, inclusive growth these uh, countries are generating. So it's a challenge both for young people but also a broader challenge for societies and economies. 
And what can governments do to push younger people to succeed and have a decent lifestyle, Mrs. Ekogu? Uh, yes, actually, evidence from our report shows that governments can take action specifically in three areas. So the first one could be to start with collecting evidence on the different circumstances of young people to understand better their needs, their priorities, uh, what, are, what are the specific impacts of uh, laws, policies, decisions on young people on all areas, not only employment, education, but also environment, transportation, housing. So this is the first step to have evidence. And then the second step is of course taking action, which means after having this evidence, you the governments can start setting a strategy, a roadmap, what they want to achieve to empower young people, what are their goals, uh, what they would like to do, what is the role of each institution and ministry so that they can empower young people. And uh, for this purpose, uh, many OECD countries, we see that formulated a national youth strategy so that they have one common approach for all institutions, for all different areas, policy service areas that what they should do for young people. But it is important that what we find these strategies should be participatory. They should make young people engaged in the process. They should have resources, they should have a budget and they should be well monitored and evaluated so that they can really make an impact and deliver these targeted services and policies that young people need. And the third point, of course, translating these strategies, these documents into action, uh, implementation, and those who implemented uh, the government entities, they have adequate capacities, resources, they know how to implement this strategy. So it is really taking uh, from a document and commitment level to implementation and action. And of course, what is very important also is that monitoring and evaluating whether these commitments at the end take place, what are the outcomes for young people, how these different commitments empower them or made any difference or not. So this is very important to understand what works, what doesn't and why, so that governments can better prepare uh, with more targeted action uh, to empower young people. So the second area of focus in your report is enhancing youth participation and representation in public life as well as trust in government. How can this be done? Well, that's a very broad question and then there's no easy answer to that, I'm afraid. But um, what we see uh, in our report is that there are a couple of challenges. Um, when we look at the trust that young people express in government, for instance, we see that only 46% of young people across all the OECD countries on average express trust in their government as of 2019. Um, when we look at trust over time, we see that in a majority of OECD countries, youth trust in government has actually decreased when we compare it to the time prior to the global financial crisis, so around 2006 or so. We also look at other important indicators, such as the perception of young people of having a say in politics. We look at their participation in elections, their representation in state institutions, such as parliaments or the cabinet, uh, different political positions. In all of these indicators, we see that the situation has barely improved for young people over the last decade. Despite a lot of advocacy by youth-led groups, um, we see that it is still extremely challenging for young people to access opportunities of 
true engagement, meaningful engagement and representation in those bodies that at the end of the day take the political decisions. And then on the other hand, there is this narrative often um, in media that young people just don't care about politics. And I think uh, our findings show that this is not true either. It's just that young people may use different channels when we compare it to the channels that their parents um, used to use. For instance, political parties or participating in elections. We see that young people are less likely to take these channels to make their voices heard, but they are very active in social movements, very active online. We have seen that in a variety of, on a variety of topics like climate change, um, the fight against racial discrimination, sexism, all over the place. Uh, these movements, this activism has been led by young people just using different channels. Yes, uh, actually this is very true, but uh, also to uh, maybe to explain a bit what can be done that uh, after hearing about all uh, these interesting uh, statistics about uh, why young people are underrepresented, which means that also they have lesser say or lesser means to inform the decisions that affect them at the end of the day. So uh, this was also one of the areas we focused in our report to understand what can be done to address these challenges. And maybe to uh, follow up on what Morris said about trust, which is a very important um, aspect of showing a healthy relationship between young citizens and their governments. So what we saw in our report was uh, that uh, young people are more satisfied with the results of the policies when they are part of the policy making and decision making. So high, higher satisfaction with public policies and services at the end means they have higher trust in public institutions. So one of the ways of increasing trust of young people in governments is uh, involving them in the process, in the decisions and policies, but also making sure that the whatever governments are doing are providing open um, uh, information, uh, they are responsive to the young people's needs, and at the end they are promoting fairness by supporting those who are most vulnerable. And for representation and participation, uh, I think there are many things we can recommend or say, but I will just mention that uh, we see that sometimes uh, legal frameworks, laws or minimum age requirements can be the barrier behind young people's participation in political life. And this definitely deserves an attention to understand if these uh, minimum age requirements or legal frameworks create a way of uh, de-encouraging uh, de young people in participating. And about age diversity in state institutions, it is definitely a very important topic so that uh, public sector remains attractive to young talents and there are good um, uh, recruitment proce uh, procedures, but also promotion and mentoring programs in the public sector. And how do we strengthen volunteer and youth work through national law and programs? Yes, that's a very good question. And I think it is also very timely at the moment because uh, you saw in the pandemic that youth work and youth volunteering were super important in uh, contributing to the resilience of the societies. Youth work activities like scouting, they helped the elderly, they helped their peers in providing information, advice, volunteering the same, they 
contributed a lot to their societies. They created e-learning platforms. They helped most vulnerable groups. So we really need to, uh, the governments really need to benefit from this momentum and mobilization of young people in pro, uh, providing resilience uh, to their societies. But what we see in our report is that youth volunteering and youth work is often hampered by lack of resources, opportunities, and awareness. And our message in the report was very clear. Uh, young people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, diverse uh, backgrounds, they all need to have access to this type of opportunities because it is a way of um, improving their skills, but also community engagement. So um, there is um, a lot of action governments can take on this aspect to help young people overcome these barriers. And there are also very interesting examples from uh, countries about how they can really promote volunteering of young people or youth work. And I think Moritz can elaborate a bit uh, more on these aspects uh, about uh, what can be done to uh, promote youth volunteering and youth work. Absolutely. So in our report, we see that actually a good number of OECD countries has adopted specific laws, strategies, and programs to encourage volunteering among young people. And typically, uh, it may sound technical, but these laws and strategies are quite important. Why? Because they help to allocate clearly the responsibilities of different stakeholders, both within government, but also think about the many NGOs that are offering opportunities to volunteer, and they help coordinate the action between these different stakeholders and to mobilize important financial and human resources. And especially in times of crisis, like currently with COVID-19, Skamse was mentioning before, youth volunteering and youth work are areas that are typically at the high risk of experiencing cuts in, in funding. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is a big challenge given the important role that youth volunteering and youth work are playing to fostering social cohesion in a society. Um, again, we see that those countries that come up with these specific laws and strategies also tend to have a higher share of their young people actually being engaged in volunteering, being engaged in community development. So we see that those countries that invest in these areas also benefit in terms of a higher share of youth volunteering at the end. And the third area of main focus is delivering fair policy outcomes for all generations. But how does the OCD define fair policy? Well, I think there are a lot of definitions out there on how we best define fair policies. There are very complicated ones and they're very easy ones. And I, I think one definition that probably most of us will understand easily is that no generation should live at the expense of future generations. Mm -hmm. And no generation, no generation, living generation actually should live at the expense of another living generation, which basically means that in those areas where we see inequalities among different age cohorts, we should address them. And our policies should help to address these inequalities to make sure that we have policy outcomes that are fair across all generations and all age cohorts. And when we think about why is this an important topic? why are we talking about intergenerational justice? Mm -hmm. Then we see that many of today's most heated political debates are actually linked to generational challenges. Um, the sustainability of national deficits, the depletion of natural resources or the extinction of 
endangered species and pollution, climate change, all these are issues that no single generation can address. These are intergenerational challenges. So we need intergenerational solutions to address them. Uh, they are also very characteristic in the area of social policy. Um, most of our member countries actually have an aging population. Um, so all of these transformations are again raising questions about inclusive participation, about the fair allocation of resources. And this is why talking and thinking about fair policy outcomes is so important right now. And what kind of accountability measures can we take to make sure that public governance addresses issues of intergenerational challenge and uh, inequalities? Yes, um, that's a very good question. And maybe to make it a bit easy to understand or to like easy to explain why um, accountability measures are important. It basically means that uh, you may think that intergenerational justice is very important, but if there is no accountability measure, then you can't really uh, assess what has been done, who is reporting to who about the achievements. So there is, it means that there is basically no commitment or no uh, specific desire to improve on these aspects. So because of that reasons, it is extremely important to have accountability measures in place so that there is really a important uh, momentum to uh, continue improving uh, policies and decisions in areas uh, of intergenerational justice. And what we think uh, could help uh, governments in these aspects, um, first of all, what I just mentioned actually, of course, a strong political commitment. If you don't have a commitment, uh, then it means you don't want to take action on that. So they really need to show this commitment, have this commitment, but then show this commitment and how they can show this commitment some countries put intergenerational justice as one of the priorities of their strategies. Uh, some countries even have them in their constitutions that uh, this, is a, uh, this is something that should be upheld and respected while making decisions, laws. Uh, so this is a way of showing you are committed to these policies. And then the second part is of course, uh, creating or strengthening exi ex existing uh, oversight institutions and mechanisms. Uh, what does it mean to have an oversight institution? It basically means that there is an institution in charge of how governments make progress on their commitments on intergenerational justice. So they monitor regularly how you are delivering on these commitments. And these institutions can say that uh, this draft law or this draft policy is not respecting intergenerational justice. So these institutions have very important role, uh, role to play uh, to make sure that while making policies, we are not only thinking about the short term, but we have long term perspective. We are also thinking about the future generations, uh, gen equality between different uh, age groups in the society. So these are um, two important uh, points to safeguard uh, intergenerational justice. And what I would like to add, just Morris mentioned that why it is important. Um, one of the most interesting findings we saw is that in societies where there are lower age related inequalities, like low inequalities between generations, there is higher satisfaction and uh, well-being overall in the society. So. It is not only for future generations or for young people, 
but it benefits all society when different age groups are uh, building together, uh, benefiting from the policies and decisions together rather than being at the expense of each other. And Mr. Adder, how can OECD countries work together to ensure policy coherence? Yeah, I think the topics that we, we are discussing here and today, youth empowerment, intergenerational justice, we see that they are what we call cross-cutting. Basically means they are uh, covering uh, very different policy areas. We were talking about employment, education, health, mobility, environment. So how can governments actually ensure they have a coordinated approach, I think is one of the key challenges many of our member countries um, are facing. We see in, in very concrete terms that a couple of countries uh, have established focal points for youth, for instance, in different ministries um, to make sure that youth is, or the topics related to youth policy are not only addressed within the ministries in charge of youth affairs, but that all ministries have a stake. Similarly, uh, other countries come up with uh, establishing working groups that meet on a regular basis to better coordinate their interventions in these areas. But at the end of the day, I think it comes a little bit back to what Gamze was just saying. We need political commitment, government-wide strategies, concrete mechanisms that create a momentum within the government um, to work on these issues in a coordinated way. And I think the OECD is, is a place where governments can come together and see how successful these coordination mechanisms, strategies, laws, but also commitment are working in practice. So uh, there is basically uh, at the national level some work to be done in terms of setting up these mechanisms, but also at the international level through the OECD, um, a forum through which uh, countries can compare their practices and see what works and what doesn't. And final question for both of you. Uh, many students like myself believe that, you know, uh, governments haven't been working for us, that policy isn't important, but policy does revolve our lives every day, correct? I think this is a very good question. And um, it is very important that young people have this awareness and understanding about policymaking because it is about the decisions that affect them day-to-day -day basis. So it affects them while accessing public services, even when getting a document from government, uh, but also broader things about uh, their education system, about their uh, access to employment opportunities. So there are different levels that really affect them day-to-day -day basis. So they should be part of the a dialogue. They should engage with their governments. They should inform the decisions so that they also feel more satisfied about the outcomes. So this is the actually main principle of engaging young people. But I want to also add that it is not only about um, engagement uh, by only young people with governments, elected officials or local communities, but it is also about um, an understanding from government point of view or other uh, citizens point of view, whether young people are interested or uh, aware about these issues. And at that point, I, I will come back to what Maurice mentioned earlier, that there is often an assumption that young people are not aware or they don't realize, uh, maybe they are not interested. So this is a basic assumption 
I think that underlines these questions about what young people should know or learn. But I think young people in general are very aware that they are just using different channels. And uh, as what we mentioned, they are not all the same. So some people uh, might have more vocal views or they might want to be more engaged in their communities, youth organizations, whereas some might use other means to engage. And what we need to see is a value on different ways of engagement of young people and also providing those who really want to go through these institutional channels, like we mentioned, the elected bodies or state institutions, so that they have opportunities to access to those if they want to. So I think that is the main principle. And uh, maybe final point is that uh, young people should also be aware of their great potential and role they can play. We just talked about how they were contributing to resilience of the societies during the pandemic. So I think while engaging, they shouldn't think that whatever I say will not make an impact, but they should recognize that their engagement is adding a lot of value to the discussions. Yeah, I think I would only contribute to this that probably policymaking as such sounds often quite abstract or technical. But at the end of the day, what we tried also to convey um, in this discussion today is that it is about the opportunities young people have to succeed in life at the end of the day. And that policymaking, decision making today does not only affect the immediate opportunities, but really over their life cycle, it will have important implications if a young person is successful in making the transition from education to the labor market, as we have seen. And these are important decisions for young people, but again, also for our societies and economies, because we have seen uh, in our report what the costs are in case these the transitions are not working out well. So um, I think as technical, as abstract as policymaking may sound, uh, it's at the end very important for young people to, to be engaged. Uh, and we have seen with the Fridays for Future movements, but also other developments recently, that young people, if they come together, if they mobilize, if they coordinate among themselves, can have a big impact on these decisions. That's it for this edition of MR Meets. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at McGill and National Review for more up-to-date insight and analysis of global issues and international affairs.